seats. Hopefully we'll have some opportunities to pick up that a little bit, pick up some worship and response uh, in a little while. Um, it is true, isn't it, when you strip it all away, it's, uh, it's just about seeing loads of people saved, isn't it? <laughs> that actually is what it's all about. And I think the more we can get, keep the simplicity of that, the joy of that, the, the eagerness for that to, to, to use some of the words that have come through, um, that will serve us well. Um, what I wanted just to look at this morning, uh, uh, particularly thinking about yesterday when we sort of, there was a lot of bombarding of kind of vision and things that are going to be happening and great big load of things at the end and the news session with things we want to do in the future. I just wanted this morning to... Um, try and look at um, what are some of the features of the journey we go on to fulfill our calling in God because uh, the things that are ahead of us um, that, that you can't do those quickly they're, they're, they're a lifetime the, the stuff I think that God is beginning to un, unfold for us is a lifetime's work and it's not like we're just starting I mean many of us have been doing this for years and some of you are new to it and uh, there's all sorts of experience between the two things there and I think it's important that for those in any kind of leadership any kind of responsibility we learn how to pace ourselves and we learn how to have the right uh, perspective on the journey because perspective changes a lot actually how you look at something you can be looking at the same thing and you know how you look at it how you view what's going on, how you view the future, the past, the present, how you view things, I think determines a lot about how effective and fruitful we can be. So um, we need to learn how to do the journey well. It's, this is a, the Christian life, and particularly ministry, is, it's a marathon, it's not a sprint. It, it, you've got to pace yourself, you've got to get yourself ready for the long haul, You've got to learn how to get through the, the wall. When you hit the wall, it all seems lost. <laughs> and when you're going downhill, it can feel easy. And then you go uphill again. And you, you know, you've, got to, you've got to learn how to do the journey. So uh, I just want to look at someone who did their journey very well. And just, there's just four things from their life that I just want to pick out that I hope will help us as we begin this next phase of what God I believe, is calling us to do as a, as a family together. So we're going to look a little bit at Paul and his calling. So if you turn to Acts chapter 1, sorry, Acts chapter 8, verses 1 to 3, I'm just going to read a little bit about Paul's testimony. It was interesting just hearing Adam talk about that guy giving a testimony. And testimony often, right in the early days when someone is saved, their life's calling is often bound up with that. It's quite interesting. I'd be fascinated to know the guy who got saved that Adam was talking about, whether there was a sense of calling he felt, even in those early days that then propelled him into leadership. It's, it's, it's fascinating sometimes to trace the journeys of people. And so in Acts chapter 1, oh, let's keep saying that, Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Let's stick with it. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Uh, says, we're picking it up after the death of Stephen and Saul uh, approved of his execution. There arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. 
devout men buried Stephen and made a great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Then over in chapter 9, just Saul, still breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. So if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. But rise and enter the city and it will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. And there was a disciple in Damascus called Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so he may regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he's done to your saints at Jerusalem. And there he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. Then if we flip through to Acts chapter 26... Many years later, we have Paul um, under arrest and uh, facing King, King Agrippa. And in verses 1 to 2, So Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that is that it is before you, King Agrippa, I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews. In verse 12, in this connection I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O King, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you've in which you have seen me, and to those in which I will appear to you. 
delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. Father, help us just to learn some things from Paul's incredible journey uh, through his life that will help us in the things that you've called us to do together and individually. We just pray that it would be a strengthening and a... um, it would impart wisdom to us, Lord, as we look at what he has done so that we can run a race well that is marked out for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, the amazing thing about this story to me is... Um, well, there's four things. And the first is time. The first issue to do with the journey of our calling is the issue of time. Timing is everything. Saul, uh, or Paul, is converted and given, um, uh, his calling is announced to him in the very early days of his, of his conversion, that he would stand before kings, there's just one element of it, and witness. And then we fast, f- well, fast forward, or we have to fast forward, many years, I don't know how long it was, before Acts 26, where he's standing before Agrippa, which is the fulfillment of what he was called to do when he was first converted. You think, all that time, all that time was taken before the culmination of his calling, particularly to stand before those with authority uh, and those in, those in authority, kings and, and those governing, and he'd appealed to Caesar. I don't think Paul was daft when he did that. I don't think that he was thinking, oh, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll just appeal because I want justice. I think he was bearing in mind what Ananias, he knew his calling. He thought, what's the quickest way to Caesar? What's the quickest, what's the way that I can use what's happening to fulfill what I'm called to do? And he was prepared to take time to fulfill what he knew right from his early conversion days God had put in his heart. There was a burden he lived with, and he was prepared to wait. And even when he, just in the last verse we read, he's saying, uh, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to Damascus, then Jerusalem, then through all Judea, and also to the Gentiles, which was also part of his calling. He'd done all these missionary journeys. He'd done all it. He's at the towards the end of his ministry, as it were. So I don't quite know. So I don't quite know all the timing of this. But this is at the end part, and it's taken him a long time. And I suppose the first point I just want to make is this: I think we can be in too much of a hurry with our calling. Um. Perhaps because we live in an instant age, so if you want to communicate with someone, you can send them a text and they get it like second. I, I was just, I was on, what was it I was doing the other day? I was, I don't do something on the computer or something on the phone, and it said, a text will be sent to you to confirm this. Boom, and it was there, boom, like that. It was like, well, how, did, how could that possibly have got there? So they hadn't even hardly finished telling me it was coming. It was bang, it's there. 
Uh, we, we're used to instant everything. Everything's instant. So we want to communicate. It's instant. You want to journey. What's the quickest way of getting there? You want to do something. What's the quickest way? What's the most of everything is quick, 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 quick. God isn't. He's not in a hurry. <laughs> I mean, it even says, you know, a day is like a thousand years. Of th- it's just like he's not, he hasn't become faster as we have. But yet we, we project onto him our expectations of what we think, therefore, he should now be doing because he's really got to modernize himself a little bit. But, but he really isn't. He is not in a hurry. He, uh, a calling is a lifetime's work. It's a lifetime. It's not a, a something you think, right, done that, what's next? It's, it, it, time is required. And um, I often think we dismiss prophecy as, well, that clearly wasn't right, because we've put a time frame on what was said, and because it didn't happen in a certain time frame, maybe even 10 years we think, oh, do you remember that prophecy? Yeah, it's all gone brown at the edges now. I printed it out, and oh, yeah, that can't have been right. That was 10 years ago. Well, the more you read Scripture, the more you understand God says things that took sometimes generations before they blossomed. And, and I do think if we are to navigate our calling well, uh, the, the things even yesterday corporately we were talking about that we were going to do, want to do, see many churches planted, many... Um, apostolic families emerging in the earth, raising up sons and daughters, and you know it takes a lifetime to raise a family. It's not a, it's not a, you know, you don't buy a grow bag and just water it and boom, you know. It, it, and and I do think there is a short circuit approach to church building, to church leading, to, to ministry that is setting people up for disappointment because their disappointment will always be based on expectations God never had in the first place. You know, time, just allowing time. You know, if you want to make nice coffee, okay, you can have instant, but it won't taste as nice. So you've got to percolate it. You've got to... Yeah, yeah, I mean, you, yeah, I mean it's, you know, you, if, you, if you want to drink a nice glass of wine, yes, you can buy a cheap plonk, but it's not the same as something that's taken time to just become what it is and uh, why do we think therefore that anything God does in terms of church has to be instant and inst- it just doesn't fit with who God is it's just not like that no he does things in an instant he knocked Paul off his horse in an instant saved him in an instant but the outworking the outworking he spoke to Ananias about things that would not happen for years years that was in Paul's DNA of what God had got hold of him for right in the beginning and it took years and many disappointments and many twists and turns on the journey as we'll see but yet Paul was able to say I've not been disobedient to the vision he, he, he understood that there's a timing in God for all these things now you know like many of you been in leadership for a long while and you, you really do I think have to have a good internal uh, ability to cope with the ups and downs of church life if you're in leadership because you can go through a season when it, you, know, you look out and you think, dear Lord, have mercy. <laughs> well, you, and there are other times you can look out and you think, this is really pumping. Right. Now, that can change from like two weeks 
You know, it's just so you've got to be able to see beyond the valley that you're in or the hill you're on. You've got you've got to be able to know. Is the general trajectory? Am I? Is there a timing issue here? You know, is there a something that we're working towards but we're not quite there yet? I think that that will help us. It will help us. Patience is is a is a fruit of the spirit. It's not it's not just for those who are you know, that way inclined, you know, well, yeah, I'm more of a patient person. Than, well, sometimes our personalities, you know, can make us a little bit more like that. But patience is a fruit of the Spirit. It's something God produces in us, usually through having to learn to be patient. You can't, if I had an appeal for patience, I would pray for patience. It's not going to happen. But God will develop patience. But it's a godly characteristic and and it doesn't mean you're slow and laborious and not visionary and not not going for it and not you know energetic patience is not the opposite of energy patience is just learning how to manage your energy so that you don't burn out it's it's learning now this is a marathon i'm i'm fully committed to win this race but i've got to just pace 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 patience 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 through difficult that's how paul lived so he's able to say, and that must have been just an incredible, I'd love to know what he was feeling when he said, oh, King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today. He must have almost like, I've done it. I've done it. All those years ago, dear old Ananias put his hands on me and said, I've chosen, God's chosen you to stand before kings. There he is. Years later, I've not been disobedient. It's happened. It's happened. So don't Throw your toys out of the pram if it hasn't all worked out quite the way you thought just yet. Tomorrow is another day. It really is. So many people, I've seen good men and women with great gifting in leadership fall, out, fall away and lose their, you know, just shipwreck their calling because they've not been patient. But it's not always about sin, you know, sort of obvious sins. It can be just, they just had wrong expectations of God that he never, he never intended them to have. And so they get frustrated, they get all, oh, it's not worked out. And then they start blaming everybody else and then disillusioned with God and they throw it all in. And who's to blame? Well, no one but themselves. No one but themselves. I know that sounds a bit hard, but I've just seen it happen so often. And I can be like that. God's had to teach me and still has to teach me patience, 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 patience. Because I tend to be visionary, I tend to like new things, I tend to want to pioneer, see it break out. New, I get bored quickly. I, I do, I just get bored quickly. God's had to say, no, come on, you've got to grow in those things that you're not very naturally inclined to be. And uh, Keith, or <laughs> Keith Hazel, bless him, always used to say to me, you've got apostolic patience. He said, I haven't. Uh, I said to him, well, if I have, it's because God's had to grind it into me because it's not natural. It really isn't. It's just not natural. But you just have to learn that's a survival technique. <laughs> You've got to play the long game. You've got to play the long game. So Paul's destiny was to stand before kings and to reach the Gentiles. And there was a real length of time from chapter 8 to chapter 26. Think about others in the Bible. Think about Joseph had this, you know, his vision his brothers were all going to bow before him. How many years? How many years before that came about? 
Now, if he'd have got frustrated and said, you know, tried to look for ways to make them bow before him, or yeah, if, if he'd have taken a snapshot of that prophetic calling when he was in prison, when he was in Egypt, when, he, when all sorts of things happened, he'd have thought that can't have been from God. That would have been his conclusion. But he'd have been really wrong if he hadn't have continued just to faithfully do what God was giving him to do. So timing can really play a key role in whether we actually see what God has called us to do. Just having a perspective on time. And you you may have just taken over leading a church or you may be trying to rebuild something. You may may be in, there's a new phase in church life. I don't know, you may be leading a business or starting some project. I I don't know what it is that you've, at the moment, God's kind of, you're, you're giving your energies to. Let me really encourage you, don't become... Uh, too focused on how long it's taking. Just be focused on making sure you're doing the right thing in the right place at the right time with the right people. Don't focus on the how. Focus on the what. Because if you focus on the what, God will sort the how out. And I've also found that, personally, often when you look back at prophetic words, and even when you read people in Scripture, um, the way God outworks things is often very different from how we imagine. And the passing of time means that things we couldn't even imagine um, or weren't even in existence or our circumstances weren't even like that at the time the word was given mean that we have to wait time, some time before things change so that what God, God is seeing but we can't see comes into being, if you see what I mean. So we can really miss something by being too quick. Um, so that's the first thing to say, time. Um, yeah, so battle, when the, when the enemy comes at you and tries to get you discouraged that everything's taking a long while and makes you say, or oh, have you got it wrong? Has God let you down? Is it ever going to happen? And you simply hold on to the fact that there's a timeline that God is working on. The second thing is that we see in Paul, I think, is calling. So it's timing, it's calling. I think this is really important. Calling is starting to become a little bit more uh, a word that's being used again, which I'm thankful for, because God does have callings on people's lives. Now, calling can be a slightly unpopular concept, because in an age of equality and fairness, we think, well, well, everybody's got a calling. And it's almost like, well, everybody can do everything they want. Well, no, actually. Um, because God does call particular people to do particular things, and that means he doesn't call other particular people to do the same things. God does call people. He has favorites to do certain things. He has. He, has cho- he makes choices, and he's perfectly at liberty and at rights to do that because everything is his anyway. He can make one vessel for this purpose and one vessel for that purpose. He is completely within his rights. He doesn't have to answer to some uh, tribunal of employment fairness. He doesn't have to be fair, as we would... He doesn't have to be. There is calling. There are limits. There are assigned portions to our lives, the things that God is asking us to do. And whilst that could be viewed as a negative thing, think, oh, well, that means I'm limited. Well, no, let's look at it this way. That means not only are you permitted, but it also means that you're appointed and it's going to be fruitful if you, if you do it. God's guaranteeing you success. 
because he's the one who's calling you to do it. So you, you don't even really, in that sense, have to be that clever. You just, all I have to do is just follow the calling that he's given me to do. I always say to people when it comes to, to David and Goliath, uh, it wasn't David's marks, uh, uh, marksmanship that brought him down. It was his calling. He could have stood with his eyes shut looking the other way and thrown it over his shoulder. It would have still hit him in the forehead because it was calling that brought the giant down. He, he was called. He was anointed. He, you know, if you're anointed, you will be fruitful. You can, all, you know, you can kind of be somewhat um, avant-garde about it. You think, well, you know, I, I just bear fruit and I don't even know how I do it. Now, is that arrogance? No, it's calling. It's, it's recognizing there's a calling on each of us to be... It's to, your, it's to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. Now, what's the context of that? Well, it's doing what God's asked you to do, where he's asked you to do it, with whom he's asked you to do it, and you will bear much fruit. It's, it's an issue of God's appointing. And God appointed Paul. He called him to some things. Now, you can find examples in Scripture of people trying to have a calling but not having one. So if you look in Acts chapter 8, this is almost like a bit of a a bit of a a foil to it. In Acts chapter 8, verse 9, you have Simon the sorcerer. There was a man named Simon who'd previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. Well, there's a clue there. There's something wrong. (laughs) There's There's something slightly wrong in his motivation Uh, They all paid great attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. So they even agreed with him. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he'd amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, so he gets converted. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip, seeing signs and great miracles performed. He was amazed. Uh, And then verse 18. Now, when Simon saw the spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, give me this power also so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Now, that's not a good thing to say to Peter, because if he'd had a sword, he'd probably lost his ear. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. All right, look at that. You thought you could obtain the gift, the calling, the anointing with money. You thought this was something that by just desiring it, you could get. He said, your heart's wrong. Now, the point is, really, that to pursue something that God's not appointed is covetousness. It's, it's saying, I, I, I've got this, but I wish I had that. Now, at the heart of all of us, we have to embrace the calling God has given for us and be faithful stewards. And longing for ministry, longing for something without it springing out of a calling from God will, will be self-indulgent. It, it won't be fruitful and it will lead to disappointment. Paul was shaped in all his decisions and his ministry choices by the outworking of the prophetic destiny spoken over him. Let me say that again, right? Paul was shaped in all his decisions, all his ministry choices, and the outworking of them by the prophetic destiny that was spoken over him. He was called and he knew it. He knew what God had said to him, and so every choice he made was to serve that calling in his heart. Now, some of us have a stronger sense of calling than others, and a calling can be a, a, a calling to a, a kind of ministry rather than a specific thing. So I, uh, we don't all have to sort of, 
you know, this was quite specific what Ananias said to, to Saul, quite remarkably so. He even told him what street he was going to be at, what house he was going to be. Yeah, it was quite specific. And, and, you know, we're all called to share the gospel. We're all called to pray for the sick. We're all called to, you know, there are certain things we're all called to do. But I'm talking about that specific ministry fit to a room of leaders that will begin to shape who you are and what you give your life to. And pursuing that above all else is, is really important. Peter went to the Jews because that was his calling. Paul went to the Gentiles because that was his calling. Even his appeal to Caesar was because he, could, he knew he'd be able to bear witness to kings in a higher uh, setting, as it were. So um, Paul didn't know how the calling would outwork. And I think this is fascinating to look in. I, I love reading Paul's life, I really do. But when you think he's in the middle of outworking his calling, then in Second Corinthians he says, I don't want you to be uh, ignorant of the, the, the hardships we encountered when we got here um, we, we despaired even of life. So it's possible <laughs> on occasions, even for the best of us, to be faithfully doing what God's asked you to do and yet at the same time have such a rough time that you despair of life itself. That's why you need to know that timing is important. Because if he'd have given up then, he'd have concluded, well, I've got all this wrong. I'm going to die. I want to die. Take me now. That's basically what he was saying. I've had enough. Can't do it anymore. And that's the first thing he wrote in 2 Corinthians. That's the first, he said, I want you to know how utterly despairing of life and fed up with the whole thing I was. I, I just wanted to get out of it. I couldn't stand it. I'd had enough. We wanted to die. Greetings. <laughs> you know, no, this is the, the called man who'd had the Ananias that you've called to the Gentiles. He's gone to the Gentiles. He wants to die. Do you ever feel like that? You know, call, I know I'm called to lead this church, to plant this church, but you know what? I just feel like I'd rather do anything else in the world right now or die. It, it's normal for leaders occasionally. If you feel like that every day, then let's have a talk. But if occasionally it will happen that you will feel like that. That's normal. Next thing is we notice is, is obedience. <coughs> Um, in 26.19, he says, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Paul was able to say at the, towards the end of his ministry, I have been obedient. I can't elevate that word higher. Obedience is a big deal. It's just, if, if you're not clever, okay. If you're not skillful, okay. If you're not entrepreneurial or come up with flashy ideas, and if you, if you haven't got all the stuff that some other people have, so what? What it does matter you have is obedience. Just obey whatever he tells you to do. I mean, I know that sounds simple. And, it, you know, trust and obey. There isn't any other way, as the hymn says. You know, obedience is a big big deal and Paul was able to say I've not been disobedient it was almost like a sigh of relief ah, done it I've not been disobedient and if there's anything you and I should covet at the end of our lives it's to be able to say Lord I've not been disobedient I've not been disobedient 
I haven't understood everything. Paul went through ups and downs and thought, I, I don't know what's going on, but I'm just not going to be disobedient. I'm not going to be disobedient. I'm not going to be disobedient. He just kept choosing the right thing, even when everything seemed to be going against him. Do you feel like that sometimes? You think, I just, this is just not working. Or what I thought was going to happen hasn't. Hopes dashed, disappointments, all sorts of stuff, but I'm still going to be obedient. I am still going to do what I know God has told me to do because this is an issue of obedience, not an issue of personal fulfillment. Our ministry is not about personal fulfillment. It is about obedience to a saviour and a lord and a master. We do not have the right to choose what we will and won't do. He is our lord. He's our lord. And if it doesn't work out the way we think, he is still to be obeyed. Obedience is massive and massively understated. Now, it's really hard to obey sometimes because God asks us to do things that we can't do. You're asking me to do I can't do it. Well, my grace is sufficient. Well, all right then. You know, it's, I mean, it is sometimes a little bit like that. Oh, dear. All right, okay. And obedience isn't always great. What are we going to do today? It's not always like that. Sometimes it's nevertheless, Lord, not my will but yours. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it is. I mean, Jesus did leave us an example. to Gethsemane is an example of obedience. It's not an example of joy. It's, Lord, I'd like to do something else. Father, I'd like, if it's possible, take this cup, give me another one. Give me another way, if possible. But not my will but yours. Whatever you say, I'll do it. I mean, that's, that's why he won. That's why Jesus fulfilled his calling. Because in that garden, when everyone else had fell asleep and weren't even supporting him in his decision, he pushed through with obedience. It's massive. Massive, massive deal. It's not a religious thing. It's the walking with a friend who is also your Lord. Obedience is not a cowering before some taskmaster. Obedience is... Yeah, I, I am friends with Jesus and we're doing stuff together and whatever he says I want to do because he's my friend as well as my Lord. I, I, I want to just, we're doing this together. It's a, it's a partnership. Philippians 3 uh, verse 7. If we just have a quick look at that. Who's stolen Philippians? It was in here this morning. Oh, there it is put back. Philippians 3, 7, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. This is Paul kind of reflecting, this is philosophy of ministry. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I might know him in the power of his resurrection and might share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that I might by any means, I may attain, attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or I'm already perfect, but I press on, I press on, I'm obedient to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. 
Brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. It, it, it's, his desire was to be obedient, to lo- lose everything else, if, if only just to keep being obedient, to keep being obedient to Christ. Now, obedience... If, if you've got a sense of calling, but it's not quite working out or it's, dis- or it's disappointed you in some way, obedience then is crucial because we can, we can make choices to make ourselves feel better, but they're not obedient choices. Now, you might be, I don't know, planting a church and it might be struggling or it might, you know, it's just not taken off the way you thought or you're <laughs> leading a church and it's gone, you know, it's imploded and you think, oh, I, don't, I don't know, what, what do I do? Sometimes obedience might be to listen to people around you and say, look, we need to re-engineer this. Sometimes it can be that, just be obedient to submit yourself to others. Other times it could be others with you are saying, no, we've got to press on. We're pressing on here because there's something, there's something here God's called. I think of some of our dear friends out pioneering on real cutting-edge things. Think of um, Kevin and Lydia out in Helsinki and Roger and George in Helsinki and uh, in Lille and um, Phil and Emma in, in Stockholm, and Matt Med in Riga, and Vladimir and Sonia in Serbia. Think some of these, and Corey out in Calgary just planting. Just some of these real pioneering things. You know, obedience is the thing that gets people through. If they're the right people in the right place doing the right thing, which I believe they are, then obedience is the thing that will get them through. It really is. And, and, and God loves it. He loves obedience. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. It's, it's what I think perhaps God's looking for that more than anything else. If there is a, a tick list in heaven, obedience is probably number one on God's list. If you find, find, when God got frustrated with the people in the wilderness, it was disobedience that provoked his frustration. He can bear with anything else, but disobedience is failing to trust him, failing to believe his goodness, failing to believe his sufficiency, failing to obey what he asks you to do. That's a massive, massive, massive thing. And I, I preach it to myself this morning. I, you know, being honest with you, a lot of what we're doing now is really scary stuff. There's no safety net. You're burning your bridges behind you all the time. You think, oh, I, can't, I can't go back, but I don't know how this is going to work in, out in the future. That's scary, isn't it? You, it's scary when you've burnt your bridges. And all of you, you're burning bridges all the time. And going into things, you think, well, there's no way back from this. But I'm being obedient. You think, but I don't know, if, I don't know what, what if God asks me to do something I can't do? Well, he's always going to be doing that. That's the, that's, <laughs> that is the, the point of a saviour. <laughs> so, obedience. Really vital to fruitfulness. And it can be obedience also, the small things at home. Just how we are in marriage and family and taking care of your bills and you're running your house and just your appetites and your, just the way, just little, what seem like little things, but they, they make big things in the end. They, they, they do. And it's being attentive to the things, that, the trends in your life, the, the, just the trends and just nudging them back when the trend goes a little bit wrong and there isn't one of us in this room that does not have to manage the trends in our lives there's not one of us we we all have little trends that you think nope pull that back pull that back it's not obedient it's not helpful pull it back it's not one-off kind of manic kind of 
you know, you know, living under some sort of you know, microscope. It's just watching the trends. I want to be obedient. I want to be obedient. How is my heart with God? How, how am I with, with my wife? How am I with my family? How am I with other people? Just watching those little things and just adjusting the trends. Just, just keeping obedience as a, as a little compass and getting others to help us when we need that. We, we, we will... If we're going to have, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 years, some of you, of fruitful ministry, this, this, this is how you do it. it really, this is how you do it. There isn't a secret. This is it. And you can go to all sorts of conferences, read all sorts of books about how to grow a mega church and all the rest of it. Obedience at the end of the day is what God's looking for. I didn't even have to charge for that. Right? It's, it's in the book. I mean, it's really, it's not rocket science. But it's the hardest thing in the world. Oh, man, isn't it hard to be obedient? It really is. I mean, you think, well, he's got the life of Christ within me. Yes, but I've still got the flesh to, to gra- grapple with. Dreadful thing that it is. It just wants its own way all the time. No. No wonder Paul said, I beat my body and make it my slave. I don't think he literally did that. But he was expressing the frustration of, I can't let my self... Pull me off course from a beat. I can't do it. I'm not going to do it. Then, uh, lastly, servanthood. Uh, this, I, I, I think this obedience and servanthood, they're two sort of words that have been kind of living with me such a lot recently. Um, just serving your family, serving your church, serving the, the Lord, serving Jesus, serving the wider needs of this family we're in. Not thinking who's serving me or what's in it for me. No, serving, just serving for the greater good, serving for others' benefit. Just Jesus set us an example, didn't he? John 13 took the, the towel and just washed it. He said, I, your Lord, have set you an example. Serve. It's servant leadership. It's, it's, it's functioning that others may be blessed beyond you. I mean... That is the upside-down thing of the kingdom, isn't it? doesn't mean that we're a slave. I, dear old Henry Tyler, those of you, if you remember Henry Tyler, he used to um, help us when we first got started in church planting. He used to say to me, um, I am the church's servant, but it will never be my master. And I thought, that's very wise. That's very wise. We're not talking about being a doormat, but we are talking about serving, not lording it. It's, 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 it's an attitude. And Paul was... He was a servant. You know, he served the churches. The way he wrote to them, the way he spoke with them, the way he just conducted himself was just very servant-like. And because of that, he was received. He was received because of his attitude, not because of his brilliance. It was his attitude that opened the door. And servanthood is a culture. It's not a job description. It's, it's, it's just training ourselves to feel for one another's need, not being positional in, in how we serve, but just... Serving out of, out of a desire to bless. Um, I love that old song, Servant King. I just love it because I think it just expresses the, 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 probably more than any other song about servant that I've ever heard, just the beauty of Christ serving. Christ serving and so let us learn how to serve. It's just a beautiful uh, rendition of that. And in an age where there is a lot of focus on personal fulfillment, what's in it for me, what's my calling, what's God saying to me, I mean, it's rife. That, that is rife. And in some ways, we, we keep fueling the fire in the charismatic church because we encourage people to learn how to hear God for themselves, which is correct. 
But usually what he'll say is, right, thus said the Lord, serve everybody else. <laughs> so, we, you know, we, we've gotta, uh, we're not in this for ourselves. We're really not. We're in it for other people. Um, yeah, servanthood. Wouldn't it be amazing if we became known as a family of churches that just served? I love that thing that was read out yesterday. I can't remember who read it now. About, oh, Morris read it about the... Um, uh, lifting the burden off um, someone's shot, finding, identifying the burdens and then giving ourselves today to lifting the burden, alleviating the burden on someone. I thought, that's servanthood. That, that, that's just beautiful. That pleases Christ when we do that. So let's just stand together and we just uh, pray a little bit. Um, I, think we've, oh, I think we're probably supposed to finish now. Aren't we? Or is it? Ten minutes. Okay, right. I've broken that. Get on. Yeah. Does that all make sense? Yeah, well, let's, let's just stand and respond to the Lord. And I mean, the band might like to come back and might just like to respond to something. But I'd, I'd just like to perhaps, I don't know, let's think how to do this. Yeah, let's just wait before the Lord. Just uh, Holy Spirit, just help us now just to let you um, uh, help us. So we do want to get this right, Lord, we really do. I want to get this right. Even if no one else needs to, I do. So Holy Spirit, please help us. Just help us now. Help us now, Lord. I just feel it might be useful just to get in twos and threes just and, and pray for each other. Just simply just pray. Just say one thing that struck you from the things we looked at in the, in the scriptures. And just pray that for each other very quickly. Just get in twos and threes and then we'll sing something um, just to sort of round the session off. So just, just find two or three people and just do that.